Here we go. Hey there, folks. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. All righty then, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Privacy Please, Unplugged Edition with Gabe Gums and Cameron Ivey. We're just hanging out. It's a Monday. Gabe's looking fresh, as always. As fresh as one can look on a Monday. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the letters W, Z, and the apostrophe S. W, Z, and apostrophe S. Any Anyone who actually watch Sesame Street's probably going apostrophe S isn't a letter. Anyone who speaks English probably isn't. It's okay. That's what today's episode today's episode has been sponsored by those three letters. That is that is it. Today's secret word? I don't have a secret word. What's today's secret word, Cam? Today's secret word is hot fix. <laughs> Oh, God. I can hear all of the people in IT operations not wanting to hear the word hotfix. <laughs> word hotfix doesn't usually end, land well. You gotta, you gotta emphasize that H. Hotfix. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I just, I just thought of a random genius idea that nobody can s- to steal from me that I'm going to take. And that is... I think that it would be hilarious to have a YouTube channel where you interview Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that wouldn't be genius. You interview Muppet characters like a podcast. And obviously you have to have the video because they're hilarious. Um, I'm glad no? you're referring. So you are talking about the Jim Henson type of Muppets, right? Not like not like the guy who goes, eh, I don't really worry, worry about Patch Tuesday. I don't. I'm I'm more of a Patch Friday kind of guy myself. Like that guy's a Muppet too. We're not talking about that. No, much. I'm talking about the the Muppets. The Muppets. So you okay. Could, so you can actually like interview all different ones. You know, Kermit, Kermit the Frog here. Um, I appreciate you mentioning the D. People forget about the D Frog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's classic. That's classic. That is. Any, classic. anyways. Um, <clears throat> so a couple different topics today. Uh, we got one from the Wired article about AI and how it's a huge problem on proving to be a tough fix. Um, AI hallucinations in particular. We've talked a lot about... What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, right? So we should start there. Because we've talked a decent amount this year already. In fact, we've spent a sizable amount of airtime discussing things like chat GPT and other generative AIs. And there is what is right. known as an, a hallucination problem in AI in general. The hallucination problem is when AI provides an answer that humans know to be incorrect. Like you and I would look at it and go, that that's demonstrably false. Like one plus one is two, it is not three. Um, 
that's a very oversimplified answer because I, I certainly expect that if you have an AI model that could not answer the question one plus one equals two, then you don't have AI anything. I don't really know what you have actually, but that's a different. But Gabe, you missed the whole point. There's an invisible one above the other one. Above the other one. In parentheses. That's right. <laughs> Wait, it's in a parentheses. So what's the order of operations? Do I five? You multiply. <laughs> But AI hallucinations. So yeah, the, it tells us something that humans know to be false. Now here's the problem, though, especially with generative AI as, as it is. And we we talked, I think, on our very first episode of this year about one of the bigger challenges with technologies like ChatGPT is it can be confidently incorrect. Confidently incorrect, right? Like confidently incorrect. Even in the face of looking at it, a human going, no, that is that is wrong. But what happens when the human doesn't know that it is wrong? What happens when the system presents a hallucination that humans do not know to be wrong? What what problems do we create from that? Where a show that talk that covers privacy and security, so it's always fascinating to look at it from both ends of that spectrum. On the security yeah. side, on the security side, you can look at it in the traditional sense of well, false positives and maybe also false negatives, right? Like, oh, look, there was a thing that was actually there that I wanted to know about and I didn't, or you know, there was nothing there and you told me about it, right? Like, both of those things are problematic in our world: mm-hmm. false positives and false negatives. Um, on the security side of things, on the privacy side of things, like, false positive negatives are also problematic, but differently so. The problem from the privacy perspective certainly becomes one of a what happens if if these systems are used to provide information to other individuals. So for example, we see lots of companies building in third-party companies building like ChatGPT into their technology. What happens if someone says, hey, tell me about the host of Privacy Please. What do you know about it? And it says something like, ah, the hosts of Privacy Please are two very, very unattractive men from the from the Pacific Northwest. It's like, whoa. Complete lie. Yeah, I can't possibly be true. Those boys live in the southeast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely are in the east. We're definitely in the east. We're totally in the east, right? Like, but y- you can see from a privacy perspective, maybe not yet, but let me keep dr- pulling the string on this one. This starts okay. to become a reputation problem. This starts to become a reputation problem where, you know, from a privacy perspective, we have a requirement to both keep certain things about ourselves private and that right. also means that information that maybe we do not want others to know about um is not just private but not misconstrued or more importantly information that we want people to make sure we get right isn't misconstrued right uh, and so but you don't want to impair a person's ability to maintain their personal esteem in the eyes of others that becomes a bit of an infringement, a huge infringement upon someone's privacy. So when third-party tools start building in technology that can be confidently incorrect, that is to say, have these AI hallucinations, what do we do? What do we do? Yeah, that's a good question. Because So in particular, that is with only machine learning systems? Whether or not machine learning systems are the only ones that produce hallucinations, I right. might I might not be qualified to answer that system, to answer that question, but but I'll try anyway. Here's what I'll say about it: is that systems that have that also have garbage in, garbage out problems, um, but that are not generative, which is to say, they do not attempt to come to any new conclusions or present any new information. They simply only reflect information that they already had. 
a hallucination would only be a byproduct of taking information, generating something new from that information that isn't real. Like other systems that are not AI, I think technically wouldn't produce what we are what what is defined here as a as a hallucination. Although they might produce, um, I forget. There's some other there's some other adjectives we've used in, in technology in the past to describe this, but basically, you know, like ghosts in the systems, right? Like something present yeah. in the system that really shouldn't be there, but it is present. It is present versus kind of that AI hallucination of I've come to this this conclusion based on the model that I that 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 I have trained, and that conclusion presents information that is demonstrably false by a human. I know it's a long answer to your question. But I'm hedging because I don't, I think yes is the answer is that it would only be that type of system hallucination, specifically an AI hallucination, would only be possible in a an AI system. But even just IT hallucinations, if I try and use a more broader word there, are really not hallucinations so much as they are like ghosts. Um, right? Like they're, they're, yeah. like, like they're, they're like this, this projection of something else. I'm going to get a whole lot of ads for this show. And I'm just going to let everyone know now, don't at me. Don't at me. <laughs> so, Gabe, what are the, what are the potential, um, what are the potential risks with this? And, and obviously it's funny because in the article, it's outright calling Google, Amazon and others are vulnerable to this, which yeah, I don't think should be surprising. Yeah, we should definitely post a link to that wide article too, right? Um, but what is but what yeah. is the risk? I, I think the risk is the 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 larger one that I presented, which is that reputation risk is a privacy risk. Reputation yeah. reputation risk is a hundred percent a privacy risk, and not one that we discuss frequently on this show. However, for those of you playing along at home, you might remember that the right to be forgotten, one of the key seed elements of GDPR is because there was a reputation risk of a person that still had news articles out there about and about something that happened to them many years prior. I'm intentionally being vague even because I want to protect that person's um, like the very thing that they set out to do, namely remove all that information from the from, from the web. They may have, you know, Barbara Streisand affect themselves, but I will try to be to be helpful to their original cause. But the reputation risk that the reputation harm that the person was incurring was based on an article that was written about them, you know, over a decade prior. And so there was this there was this this privacy concern that sprung from it. And so I think we have we have started to abstract away reputation harm from privacy harm. Um, maybe we have it. Maybe it's just that privacy harm, big, big umbrella air quotes, has become such a a. a a loud topic that its connection to things like reputation harm are are a bit more abstracted away. And when I look at when I look at an article like the the Wired one regarding AI hallucinations, yeah, no, my mind does flash back to, to some of the other risks that that um, that are out there. And, and 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 reputation risk is huge. These third party systems that are that are delivering information to other people about other people do run the risk of this. And that wide article calls out all of the big boys, right? Like, you know, Google, et cetera, because they provide the most information on other people. When someone wants to go look up information about, let's just say, use a public figure, because that is the easiest. But even a not so public figure, if someone just wanted to look up information on Cameron Ivy, 
a semi-public figure, the information that is being returned is being returned not from you, but from Google. And so if Google begins using AI to provide to return its search results, do you run any reputation harm if there are hallucinations, if there are AI hallucinations in that return? We know already that employers use technology to scrape the internet and and look at candidates and make you know fit the, like determinations as to whether or not this candidate is a is a fit for the role if they are culture fit like that is not speculation there's a whole last it's a whole business of products mm-hmm. that you can go buy to do these things and so when those products are are ingesting information that may have hallucinations in them and now you maybe don't get a job like I'm, i this isn't some dystopian future this is a very real present, right? Like all, all I'm attempting to do is, is is put this conversation on the table because this is this is not a what if. This is a right now. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Um, can, do you know much about sensory trickery? I saw them mention that in in the article, um, and I can always quote it. Um, so. So solving that problem, which could challenge designers of self-driving vehicles, may require a more radical rethink of machine learning technology. So the fundamental problem, I would say, is that the deep neural network is very different from a human brain. Uh So humans aren't immune to sensory trickery. What does that mean? So machines are? I I, I was curious in what context. So humans... Right. uh, So sensory trickery, where one of your senses can be tricked into thinking something else or knowing something else. A, a very simple example of that is just like an optical illusion, right? Like your eyes yeah. are tricked into believing that like, oh, that figure is a really thin shape. Um, but when in reality, it's just, you know, the, the angle from which you're looking the at. The angle, yep. yep. Yeah, the answer to that question is yes. So computers can be also, and, and this analogy is, is probably a very good one. When the data that is input is only from say a specific angle, then it can run afoul of the same things. A self-driving vehicle is a very good example of that. It uses images primarily as one of its 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 uh, data inputs into understanding its environment. If there is some, say, refraction in light, something that, that tricks that visual sense that the vehicle mm-hmm. has, it will now process that information incorrectly. I've experienced that, actually. So I have a car that has the sensory to actually brake for you if there's if it's going at a certain speed and it feels like it's going to impact on something. I've been driving where because the angle of the road, it actually thought that a car was stopped in front of me because it was turned. I was turning and it, the road was actually veering off to the left and it jerked and slammed on the brakes and like did like this caution thing and I had nothing in front of me. So it was very, very like alarming. Yeah, it was really alarming. It scared the crap out of me. Yeah, yeah. So that would be that would be an example, right? Like that. That is a literal real life example. You have you have experienced it yourself. That is accurate. Yep. That is accurate. Right. That, that, that is that is a form of digital sensory trickery. Yeah, I've experienced similar too. Luckily, not quite as, as drastic. Where like raindrops on the rear view camera of the vehicle, like just like a drop, like in a circular format, literally create a refraction. And so like it, it, it thought something was there and it immediately applied the parking brake, right? Like the rear park, they like, nope, stop. Back. <laughs> back. Like you can't back up any further. There's something there. And it's like, no, nah, there's, there's nothing there. Nothing. That's wild. Yeah. It's I mean, thing. obviously that's still kind of newish. 
So it's uh, but what you just described is far scarier, right? Like apply the brakes yeah. on a turn when the road is slick and you might spin out of control. And it'd be the car's fault. There it is. And I could have died. Could have flipped and flipped and flipped and flipped. Yeah. No bueno. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, uh, this is this is pretty cool. So, any anything else from this article before we I go think, on to the next topic? I, I think we should probably we should probably discuss that topic in particular with some of our upcoming guests. Uh, get some feedback yeah. from our listeners. See if there's yeah. anything there that um, that that our our listeners would really like us to dive into. I'd love to get some other examples from other folks. Like I, I had not heard of the example that you gave in particular of uh, like the, the the digital sensory. Um, you know, like I had my own with the rearview camera. I'd not heard of someone doing what you did with turning the road. But I'd love to hear. We'd love to hear if there are others like that too. So, yeah, yeah, we, that's true. Yeah, we could probably discuss that topic in a bit more detail um, with some of our upcoming guests and, and you know some feedback from the listeners. Yeah, agreed. All right, so next topic is related to well, state of cybercrime. Yeah. So every year, Microsoft releases their Microsoft Digital Defense Report. It's a really solid report. If if you haven't read it, if you if you're not familiar with it, I would put it right up there with the Verizon Data Breach Investigative Report. Right, like um, right up there in terms of a report that is driven on a significant amount of real world information um, from an organization that has has direct firsthand access to that information uh, and, and has even vetted it in, in large amounts of it, just like quantity wise, because there are not a lot of organizations that have access to the, the quantity of, of just security data that an organization like Microsoft does. So it's a really, really good report. It was released, the 2022 report was released in November in November. And so we just hadn't had a chance to cover it. And it was on our list of things to, to, to go back and cover. So I figured we should we should probably take some time to, to actually have a look at, at uh, the report and, and maybe touch on some of the some of the the, the big the big takeaways. Um, okay. There are a couple of sections. It's a big report, but there are a couple of sections I think I think are, are worth focusing on. The the overall state of cybercrime, um, which I'll just quote part of what they, they, they say here. Cyber criminals continue to act as sophisticated profit enterprises. Cyber criminals continue to act as sophisticated profit enterprises. For anyone that has not digested that th- those words, I think it's really important to understand that we are we we've a long time ago stopped talking about cyber threats as being things that are like, you know, a handful of bad guys here and there getting lucky or or targeting a specific sector or maybe even yourself specifically or just, you know, going through vulnerabilities. No, 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 no. It is a wholly very sophisticated enterprise completely. Um, the report itself breaks down in particular, like some of the, the, the ransomware models and how they operate. We've talked on this show in length about that human operated ransomware model and how, and how it's evolved. But the report really breaks down the different, the different layers of the enterprise, the access brokers, right? Like, so the people that sell access into other people's networks, um, the affiliates. So the folks, the, the, the groups of folks that are affiliated with the ransomware as a service operators, and they kind of 
they kind of bridge the, the, the gap between the brokers and the programs themselves, right? So like they find people that have gained access to your environment and, uh, and, and they work directly with, with the ransomware products and programs themselves. And then above that, you have the operators, the folks that are creating the, the lock bits of the world, the black cats, the hives, the folks who actually created and distributed. It is a well-orchestrated, well-distributed model of, of cybercrime as a service. And I think the thing I really want folks to, to, to start dialing into and, and, and really ingesting is, Whatever you thought before of the threat landscape, know that you know, know that it is now a B2B fight. You are now fighting another company. If you if at any point in your brain you thought you were fighting other individuals or or maybe just a, you know some nation states and maybe our nation states will equally be right there to rescue you, know that it's your company against their companies, plural. That is literally what you're fighting. If you thought that your competitors' companies were the only ones that you should have been worried about, you're right. Like those companies are companies you should be worried about. But cybercrime as a service companies, ransomware as a service companies, they should be on your radar as companies with profit motives and models that you should be worried about. They are looking to take your company out. This is I'm sorry, I'm going through some of the pages and there's there's really a lot of good stuff in here. It's, it's filled with so much good stuff. I think one of the other things that, that are really worth taking away um, they have a summary of their their findings, you know, in engagement responses and security engagement responses. And the highest on the list of those things was just insufficient privilege access and lateral movement mm-hmm. controls. 93%. Yeah. And if you over distill that, then it becomes a conversation about, well, we should just have, you know, privilege access controls on all the things. And then, of course, you and I get into like, well, what things? What things? What things were there not proper access controls? For? And the short answer is an easy one, right? Like it's systems and data, systems and data, systems and data. But in the, the opposite end of each of these spectrums of of uh, the lowest occurrences of, of findings in terms of what they found in these responsive engagements, sixty-two percent of those folks still had low maturity security operations, right? Like they just weren't doing a lot of the bare basics. The what do I have? Where do I have it? How is it protected stuff? Mm-hmm. Uh, the patch Tuesday is not that important. And so I am an actual Muppet. Um, <laughs> the other end of the spectrum there too, again, uh, you know, just lack of information protection controls. Lack of information protection controls is what is bookending access controls. Information protection. So just straight protection to the data, just a straight lack of that. Over 60% of all the folks um, that were impacted. And again, what I like about this re- this report in particular is it, it is it's not purely, it's not just like, you know, surveys across the industry, which are extremely, extremely valuable to get that 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 feedback from from surveys. But sometimes in surveys, you kind of have to give it a little bit of a discount, a little bit of a haircut for the fact that not everyone's going to be wholly transparent. There are some of them are a little worried about, you know, how they, they, they may present those answers, even if they think it's completely anonymous. You know, th- there's sometimes just that human nature to, to abstract it. But in this case, we're talking about the folks doing the response and just, just a, a very analytical breakdown of here are where we found the breakdowns during our responses. Lack of information protection controls. 
low maturity of their security operations, right? Like through the roof. I'll read up some of the others. Insufficient application security practices. Like, yep, makes sense. Limited limited adoption of modern security frameworks. So, you know, again, this is another great one. It's like, ah, if you thought zero trust was just buzzwords, you should probably start taking it serious. There's a reason why NIST has completely adopted it as a framework for all of their government institutions. If you are still avoiding the adoption of modern security frameworks, know that some other 87% of the folks that, that had these incidents were too, and that's what led to their demise. Mm-hmm. Uh, insufficient configuration of identity provider. I guess that's not a, a big surprise, right? Like if you have insufficient privilege access, there's, there's a direct line to there and, and you are now, here's a better way of, of restating that one of distilling it too. Federated access control. You need to give people access to data outside of your company and you, um, you need to be careful of how you do it, right? Like that mm-hmm. has to be managed. Um, no multi-fact authentication. So that's an interesting one. No multi-fact authentication, 74%. For those of you keeping score that's at home, high. it is. The salty suits, they made a prediction that in 2023, people are just going to be completely fatigued out about MFA. This report suggested that there's just a lot of people that didn't even have MFA installed at all. <laughs> that's <laughs> I don't know that it's because a bunch of people got fatigued with it, but I can promise you the following. I'm still going to double down on my prediction about uh, multi-factor just becoming completely, just like people being wholly fatigued out and becoming largely useless from that perspective. And that that 74% number, when, when we look at the 2023 report, which presumably will come out at the very end of this year, I got a nickel says that number doesn't change. And nickel says that more, you don't see more people turning to MFA as a solution to any of these problems. It is only that what, what they're highlighting here is solely that that lack of MFA was one of the challenges there. But there still will be that friction in implementing it and that fatigue, which will still, I think, drive that number up. A whole nickel, Gabe? A whole fancy nickel, my friend. A whole shiny nickel. All right. All right. Okay, so so also, what's funny about this is that it all comes down to one thing that stood out to me that we all know that's super important, which is around the data. Yeah. So it's amazing that organizations still struggle struggle to implement an, an effective data protection strategy. Full stop. That's been a problem forever. Even though, like you said, there's these there's all these frameworks in place, but for some reason, you can almost it's see overlooked. these findings all of the connected dots, right? Like none of these things are isolated. It's like, oh, I don't use an updated framework, then there's a high likelihood you probably do not perform these other activities, just like you highlighted there, and that leads to those challenges. It's crazy. It's wild. But I guess the main problem is is that they don't. It doesn't align with it doesn't align with their business needs, which still shocks me because does it half the, the time staying in business not align with your business needs? Like not getting ransomed feels like it aligns yeah. with your business needs. Look uh, again, <laughs> it really aligns with with this other company's business needs, that cybersecurity is a service company. And so when they are targeting your organization, 
it feels like it should align with your business needs. There's this other company that is targeting your company. It should align with your business needs. 92% of impacted organizations did not implement effective data loss prevention controls. 92%? 92! That's wild. And by the way, they're not talking about air quotes DLP technologies, you know, as, as you know, m- my daddy knew them. Um, yeah. We're just talking about the types of data loss controls that run the gamut from where the data is at rest to how it is in transit uh, to how it's shared to, to just all of those things. There's no loss. Monetization. Yeah. Through the many channels through which the data can be lost. No loss. Well, man, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go ahead and say this for all companies. Shame on you. Shame on all of us. No. Shame on you. <laughs> Yeah, this is fantastic. Um, We'll share both of these in the, in the show notes. Um, I think, I think a deeper, deeper dive, it'd be amazing if we could get somebody on from Microsoft that was maybe involved in this. That would be great to have on the show. I might know a guy, Maurice, if you're listening, I think, I think you might be the guy to come have a conversation about this, but I might know a couple of guys and maybe a few girls even too. Um, we'll put the call out there though. But if anyone that is listening from Microsoft can speak to the report, I'd love to, I'd love to chat with you. Um, but otherwise, yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe we do know one or two people out there. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for hanging out with us, Gabe. The pleasure is mine, sir. Hopefully we weren't too preachy today. I know I did a lot of preaching. I know I did a lot. Oh yeah, you don't want to preach too much. I don't want to get. <laughs> can, can, I, can I get a can I get a little outro of Papa Don't Preach? A little little, little <laughs> Papa Don't Preach from uh, from Madonna on this one. Can we do that? <laughs> oh uh, yeah, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much. Privacy, please. We're out. Hey, you guys made it all the way to the end. Thanks for listening. Again, if this is your first time, we really appreciate the support and everyone that's always been around since the beginning. We love you guys. Keep supporting Privacy, please. And we'll always have new content each and every week. Cameron Ivy, over and out.